Praise the Lord, everybody. It's a beautiful song, one of my favorites, and I enjoyed singing that today. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Get your Bibles close, and we're going to pick up a lesson that we began two weeks ago that we entitled God's Word Is, and we're looking at uh, different ways that the Bible describes, sometimes metaphorically, how God's Word operates in our life, how it works in our life, and what it does for us and what it means to us. And, uh, and so we'll finish that up today. I, I've been thinking a lot this week uh, about what the Word of God means to me. I have built my life on the Word of God. And I believe with all my heart that you can't go wrong when you build your life on the Word of God. The Word of God. It's, it's powerful. And I, I, I've sounded this alarm often behind this pulpit, and I'm going to do it again. It might be a soapbox of mine, but I'm going to step up on the soapbox again, if that's all right, for a second. Um, we live in a time when everyone, for the most part, very few people, don't have access to the Bible. Um, you can go, especially in America, but in most countries, you can go online and for no cost, you can, uh, you can read the Bible in just about any language and you can read it any time, day or night. Uh, you can get on your cell phone, you can turn your cell phone into a Bible, you can turn your laptop into a Bible, you can turn your iPad into a Bible. Uh, that's the day that we live in. And yet, surveys tell us that fewer people are reading the Bible than ever before. That's a, that's a tragedy. So in spite of the fact that we live in the information age when we have almost unrestricted access to the Word of God, people are studying it less and reading it less, even among Christians. Christians are not reading their Bibles. That's what surveys tell us. Even people who will say, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Even people who say, I, I'm thankful for the Word of God, are not accessing the Word of God. And that's a tragedy. That's heartbreaking because they're not allowing the Word to be loosed in their life and have the impact that it needs to have. That's why so many people are falling into false doctrine because when you have not hidden the Word of God in your own heart, you're susceptible to false teaching, false preaching, and false doctrine. Because when, when you hear something preached that isn't true, you're not able to measure it against the word of God and say, no, that's not right. That doesn't, that doesn't jive with what the scripture says. And so we all need to have the word of God hidden inside of our hearts. It's the most important thing that we can do as believers and uh, I'm not trying to guilt anyone into reading their Bible more. I believe that this church, and maybe I'm being naive, but I do believe that this church is the exception to the rule. I believe that I'm in a church full of people who love the Word of God, and you read the Word of God daily. I, I, I often think of how in the Dark Ages, or what we sometimes refer to as medieval times, and when I say medieval times, I don't mean the place where you can go for dinner and watch people with swords run around in the middle of the room. I mean the actual medieval times. Um, the Catholic Church had a stranglehold on Christianity. Uh, true Christians were forced into hiding. Um, 
it's not my intention to stand here and attack the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church was very bloody in those days. It was a dangerous time, and people did not have access to Bibles. Only, only the priests had access to Bibles. And if you, even if you could get a hold of a Bible, there weren't English translations. There weren't uh, German translations until later in history. Uh, there were not translations that a non-scholarly person could read. You had to know Latin. You had to know Greek. You had to know Hebrew. And even in those days, that was not the common language or the common tongue. And so ordinary average people could not read the word of God for themselves. That's why people like William Tyndale, he was burned at the stake because he dared to translate the word of God into English so that people who were not priests could take a Bible and read the word of God for themselves. One of the most powerful, impacting stories I've ever read in my entire life is a story of a family in England who received a Bible illegally. They purchased it illegally because it was, uh, it was illegal to have a copy of an English Bible, a Tyndale Bible. And if you were found with it, you could be arrested. You might even be burned at the stake. At the very least, they would confiscate your, your goods and burn it. And this family had obtained a copy of a Tyndale English Bible and they got it in the middle of the night. They paid a lot of money for it because, you know, those were all, uh, that, there was a lot of work that went into those in those days. And they went into a closet in their house. The father got his wife and they got all of their kids together. They went into a closet and they lit a candle in that closet so no one would see them. And they read the Bible all night long. And they wept as they read the word of God for the very first time for themselves. Isn't that a powerful picture? Can't you just see this precious family reading the word of God for the very first time? And one of the first things they noticed, they, in the story, it's a true story, they read the entire Bible in a week, every night in that closet with a candle burning. They read the word of God and they wept and they prayed as they heard it for themselves. The only time they'd ever heard the word of God, they had heard it read in Latin and they didn't speak Latin. And so they were receiving it for themselves. And, and at one point, the father, uh, he wrote and he said, and nowhere did I see a pope mentioned. I don't mean Georgia popes. I mean Catholic pope. <laughs> Just clarifying. He said, I didn't, I didn't see a pope mentioned because they were able to read the word of God for themselves. And it impacted them. I think that we need to get back to having a love for the word of God. I think it'd be a good thing for, for Christians not to take the word of God for granted. Just because we have access doesn't mean we should take it for granted. We ought to read it more than we ever have. We ought to memorize it more than we ever have. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. His son is a Bible quizzer. How many are familiar with Bible quizzing? It's a, uh, we, we really need to do Bible quizzing in this church. I've been feeling that. His son has memorized the entire first three chapters of Galatians, and he can quote the entire first three chapters of Galatians without stopping, and he's, and he's uh, very, very young. I'm going to get his age wrong if I try to say it, but about my son's age, and uh, what a powerful thing. You know, they say that Bible quizzers, that 70% of children who Bible quiz and memorize large portions of the Bible, 70% never leave the church. 
That's, that's an ama- that tells me that if you hide his word in your heart, you're not going to sin against him. Isn't that what the Bible says? And, and then of the 30% who do leave the church, 90% of that 30% comes back to the church later in life. Because they hid the word of God in their heart. And the word of God will not return void. How many remember that from last week? It's like rain. It's like snow. God's word is not going to return unto him void. And so we should be memorizing the word of God uh, more than we ever have before. Because it's powerful in our lives. So uh, I, I believe that we need a revival of reading and studying and falling in love with the word of God. It's how we know God. How many are glad that we don't have to wonder who God is? How many are glad that we don't have to wonder what God's character is? We don't have to guess at the attributes of God because he has revealed himself to us in his word. And we are thankful for that today. All right, I'm going to take you to the next slide. Uh, Thank you for letting me get on my soapbox for a minute there. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, if you have your Bible. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So God's word is like milk. God's word is like milk. It's likened, the metaphor here uh, is it's likened to us being like children or like a baby who desire uh, the, the milk from their mother. And true Christians crave the spiritual milk, the word of God. Spiritual growth is always marked by a craving for and a delight in God's word. With the same intensity which a baby craves milk. Any parents or grandparents here today? I remember when my kids were, uh, were very young and first born. They were on milk. Uh, I remember that when they were ready for it, you knew they were ready for it. You, we didn't have to go to my kids and say uh, when they were babies before they could talk and, and beg them to drink milk. We didn't, have to, we didn't have to have a little sit down and say, now, Julia, you're, you're going to have to drink more milk because, you know, you're not, you're not eating at all. No, we, they, they would get to a place, and sometimes it was every 30 minutes. They'd start crying, and they'd start reaching for And you knew. You didn't have to wonder. They wanted milk. They were ready to eat. They were thirsty for it. And they let you know they were thirsty for it. And, uh, and, and sometimes I think when it comes to the word of God, we need to go back to that childlike intensity where we're ready for the word of God. We shouldn't come to church bored when the preaching's about to start. I, I, you know what I've noticed? Sometimes people, I'm getting on my soapbox again, all right? We're just, we might as well just put it permanently right here and I'll step up on it. But you know what I see sometimes in churches, not this church, but I see it in churches where I'll go preach and when the music's pumping, and, and that good apostolic song is going. They're shouting and they're dancing and they're excited and they're amening and they're, they're feeling it and their emotions are going and they're flowing in the spirit. And the minute the music stops and someone starts reading their text, everybody just kind of gets bored. Everybody just kind of sits back like, 
All right, you got to do something special to get my attention. No, it's the word of God. I don't need a preacher just to tickle my ears or have to pull me up out of my seat. Or I need the word of God. And we come to church for the word of God. I'm thankful for the dancing. I'm thankful for the singing. I'm thankful for a praise team. I believe it's biblical. But when it comes down to it, I came to hear the word of God preached. I came to hear a text from the word of God. And the word of God is already anointed. If a preacher just got up and just read through the Bible, that's already anointed. It would minister to us. It would touch us. And so we should be like children. When the, when the sincere milk of the word is, is being poured out, we ought to be ready. We ought to be excited. We ought to be responding. We shouldn't get dead and dried up and tired and beat down when the word is preached. We ought to be responding to it like a newborn babe. Receiving the sincere milk of the word. A Christian's new life. How many know that you are born again of water and spirit? That's why we say we're born again. Nicodemus said, well, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, uh, you're misunderstanding, Nicodemus. I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. And you've got to be born again of water. That's water baptism in Jesus' name. And the spirit. That's receiving the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues and when you are born again you are a new babe in christ you are a new creature in christ jesus and you begin again he makes all things new that spiritually speaking you get to start over how many of you are thankful that god let you start over how many are glad that god didn't hold your sins against you but he wiped your sins away he covered you in his blood and you became a new person in Christ Jesus. You got a clean slate. It's a powerful thing that we are able to have a clean slate. But once you are born again, you are called to be sanctified. We talked about this last week. That means you grow in holiness. And the way that you grow in sanctification and you grow and mature, that's what Paul said, you mature in Christ, you do that by partaking of the word of God. You cannot grow in spiritual maturity, just like a baby. You can't grow and be healthy without the sincere milk of the word of God. You have to have it. And so sometimes I tell people when they're saved, when, they, when they're first uh, baptized and they've repented of their sins and they've received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, I, I'll often talk to them and tell them, you know, uh, Sometimes we're so excited when that happens, and it's such a wonderful feeling. How many could testify by waving your hand that when God filled you with the Holy Ghost, it was a wonderful experience? It was a wonderful experience. There's nothing like receiving the Holy Ghost. There's nothing like God filling you with his presence. There's nothing like God taking control of your language. It's, it's a supernatural, miraculous experience. It is a gift from God. He endues us with power from on high. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. I was seven years old when I received the Holy Ghost, and I remember it like it was yesterday. That's how impacting that moment was. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not content to just get the Holy Ghost when I was seven and not walk in the Spirit. I want the, that feeling every day of my life. I want to walk daily in the Spirit. I want God moving in my life on a daily basis. But I tell people who have that experience for the first time that 
you are still going to need to grow in your relationship with God. Did you know that when you received the Holy Ghost, you still had things in your life you needed to change? Every single one of us, when God fills you with the Spirit, you've repented of your sins, and you might have things in your life that you don't even know are sins yet. And the reason you don't know is because you don't know the Word of God. And that's why oftentimes new believers who really, you know what I mean when I, this isn't a theological statement, but you know what I mean when I say they really got the Holy Ghost? Anybody know what I mean? I mean, they really got the Holy Ghost. I had a friend that he sought the Holy Ghost for four years. He grew up in church. He wanted the whole, four years. He'd go to the altar almost every service seeking the Lord for the Holy Ghost. And uh, for some reason, he just couldn't quite break through. I could probably tell you why, but it's not important to this lesson. Uh, and, and finally, one day at camp, that's why I love when my kids go to church camp. At church camp, he was at the altar, and it was the last night, and he had just about given up. And I looked at him, and I said, listen, you need to go one more time. Let's go to the altar. And I grabbed him, and, and we went down to the altar and he prayed, and just a few minutes into it, he lifted up his hand after four years, and he began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Big old tears flowed down his face as he, as he was filled with the Spirit of God. And he spoke in tongues for six hours that night. That's what I mean when I say, really got the Holy Ghost. He was so drunk in the Holy Ghost, we had to carry him out of the service. They were turning the lights out on, on us. And, and me and some of my friends, we had to pick him up and carry him out of the service. And we were all ready to go get nachos and Diet Coke. And he was speaking in other tongues while we're trying to order nachos and Diet Coke. He couldn't stop. We took him back to his room and laid him on the bed. And he spoke in tongues into the night. But you might say, well, that sounds crazy. But you know what? He sought the Holy Ghost for four years and didn't get it. And God said, when I give it to him, I'm really going to give it to him. He's going to know. He's going to know beyond a shadow of the doubt that he has received my spirit. And he was never the same from that day forward because God moved in his life. But he still had things that he needed to change after that night. He received the Holy Ghost. He was saved, but he needed to grow in holiness and sanctification. How many could testify that when God filled you with the Holy Ghost, you still had things you needed to change? How many could testify that there were things that maybe you didn't change them that week even? Now, I often hear people say, and this is absolutely true, uh, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of people who received the Holy Ghost and they threw their cigarettes on the altar and they never went back to the cigarettes. How many believe God can do that in one instant? I've heard of people who went home and they dumped out all their alcohol. They were alcoholics. God filled them with the Holy Ghost. They threw it all away. Never went back to the bottle because the Holy Ghost had completely changed them. But they knew that it was wrong in the first place. Even before they received the Holy Ghost, they knew they shouldn't have been smoking. Even before they received the Holy Ghost, they knew they shouldn't have been drinking like that. And when they received the Holy Ghost, they had an understanding and they knew they needed to change, and the Holy Ghost empowered them to change. But there are some people who don't know certain things from the Word of God, and they need to grow, and the only way they can is to get in the sincere milk of the Word. That's why it's important you be at church every time the doors are open. That's why it's important you read your Bible every day. That's why it's important you expose yourself to teaching so that you can grow in the sincere 
milk of the word of the word. That word malice, by the way, is a Greek word for evil, and it's used to indicate wickedness that comes from within a person. So we can lay aside all malice. We can say lay aside the evil that comes from with inside of us. The sincere milk of the word gives us the ability to do that. All right, I'll go to the next slide. I'm taking too much time on each slide here. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. This is a similar passage to the one we just read. Of whom we have many things to say and heard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Everyone said dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk. Everyone said milk. And not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Everyone said both good and evil. They have their senses exercised. That means they, they have worked that out. They have developed that. It has been strengthened in their life, the ability to discern good and evil. God's word is meat. It's milk and it's meat. Now here, the Apostle Paul is, is making a juxtaposition between those who are like babes in Christ and they, they are addicted to milk. And he's addressing people and he said, uh, you ought to be eating meat. You ought to be teaching. You ought to be giving meat to people. You've been in this thing long enough that you ought to know better. There's things that you ought to know by now, but you're addicted to milk. You don't want to grow and mature, and you need to go on to deeper things in your relationship with God. You should have, you should have gone to the next level by now, and you ought to be eating steak. But instead, you're like a baby, and you're, and you're still drinking milk. And it's time for you to move on. In every believer's life, if you are you know, you're new in faith, uh, there is grace that's given. There's understanding that's given. God understands it. The ministry understands it. The church needs to understand it. Let the church say amen. But there does come a point when it is no longer acceptable. There comes a point when you need to be able to mature in your relationship with God. You know, we recognize this with, with our children, uh, to use a kind of a a flawed example, um, we recognize that there are times when our children don't want to mature, but they need to mature. Isn't that true? There are times as a parent, if you love your children and you truly care for them, you will not let them act like a baby if they're not a baby. Hello? Yeah. And, and if you love your, your children, there are going to be times when, when they're going from being a, an adolescent or a teenager and they don't want to be an adult yet. You know, they're 33 years old and they don't want to work a job. We have a problem. Hello. We've got an issue. 
38 years old and don't want to work and want mom and dad to give them lunch money, we have a problem. We have a maturity problem. And something isn't right. And someone needs to look at that. I'm using extreme examples. But if you get to that point, someone needs to look at you and say, hello, it's time to mature. It's time to grow up. It's time to get some meat in your life. It's time to get a job. It's time to pay a bill. It's time to do something. Oh, we're getting a little quiet, aren't we? Because we, I said bills, and some of y'all, your eyes just rolled back in your head. Because you're thinking about going home this week and paying bills. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. And so Paul is talking to Christians and believers. And there comes a point when we have to love babies in the Lord enough to say, I love you, but you're not a baby anymore. I love you, but it's time. You've been around this long enough. In fact, you've been around this long enough that you ought to be able to teach it. But not only can you not teach it yet, you haven't even graduated yourself. It's time for you to step into what God has for you. And, and by the way, you cannot, I, I wrote an article recently at the Apostolic Voice, and I, I called it, and it's in our, our bulletin this week, How to Overcome Temptation. How many want to overcome temptation? Everybody in this room battles temptation. Now, your temptation might be different than my temptation. Uh, some of you battle with different types of temptation. Every human being battles temptation. But can I tell you that you cannot overcome temptations that you don't know are temptations? You can't overcome an enemy that you don't recognize. And you can't serve a God that you don't know. And you can't activate the word of God in your life if you don't know the word of God. And so, you know, the first lesson in overcoming temptation, you need to know the word of God. Because if you don't know the word of God, and I mean really know the word of God. I don't mean your three favorite verses, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I don't mean that. That's good to know that. But you need to know. Listen, this is a big book. You need to know it. You need to know the word of God so that you can recognize temptation when it comes. Because I, you know what I see? I see Christians who are falling into temptation all the time, and they don't even know they were being tempted because they didn't even know that was a sin. They didn't know it was a sin because they hadn't cracked open their Bible, and they only go to church on Sunday mornings. We need to know the word of God so we can overcome temptation in our lives. That'd be a great place to say amen. We've got to be able to distinguish good from evil. Those who are weak and immature in their faith lack spiritual sensitivity and discernment about what is good and what is evil, what honors God and what dishonors God. But mature followers of Christ have trained their spiritual senses to carefully distinguish between good and evil. They develop this discipline through time with God and his word and prayer and prayer. Everyone said prayer. When you combine Bible study with prayer, that's a powerful thing. And through the continual practice of obedience in response to what he speaks to them through such times. By learning to love righteousness and hate wickedness. Everyone said love righteousness and hate wickedness. By renewing our minds according to God's power. Everyone said your mind. You have to subject your mind to the word of God. And by being enabled by the Holy Spirit to see things from God's point of view. Did you know the Holy Ghost can allow you to see things from God's point of view and not your point of view? And that's a good prayer to pray. I pray it often. I say, Lord, help me to see this the way you see it and not the way my flesh sees it. Because our flesh responds to carnality as flesh. 
But the spirit can overcome the flesh if you have God's spirit dwelling inside of you. And so every once in a while, you need to pray and say, Lord, override my flesh so that I can discern good from evil. Because our flesh sometimes thinks evil is good. Yeah, our flesh thinks that evil is good. We can, we can wind up looking at unrighteousness. You wonder how people can do unspeakable things. You know why? Because their flesh thought it was okay. Well, how could they do that? They had to know it was wrong. No, they didn't. Without the word of God, you don't have any basis to know anything is wrong. This is the problem I have with atheism that tries to say they can be moral. There is no such thing as morality without the word of God. If you don't have the word of God, you can do anything you want. Because your flesh can justify anything. How do you think we have wars all around the world? Why do you think we have rape and incest and all kinds of horrible things? You know why? Because flesh can justify anything. But the word of God and the spirit of God can overcome the flesh. That's what it means to be a child of God. I'm not going to walk that way anymore. I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to talk that way anymore. Because the word of God is powerful. And we need solid food from God's word. That means... We need more than just the basics. That means we need more than kindergarten. We need more. Listen, when you go, I, I do my kids' homework. In fact, I was embarrassed the other day. I was trying to do fractions with my daughter. I don't even remember what a fraction is, to be honest with you. I barely made it through math in high school and college. I just had to hang on for dear life. English was my thing. Imagine that. English was my thing. And uh, math, I was just holding on for dear life. If it hadn't been for teachers who were kind to me, I don't know. I don't know if I'd even be here today. But, but we made, and so I'm trying to help my daughter with fractions. And, you know, she's just in the fourth grade. And I'm just going to tell you, we were, we were dividing fractions. It's of the devil. <laughs> it's wicked. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. It really is. In the back of her homework book, it gave you the answer. And she's not supposed to look at it, but I went back and looked at it. And even when I knew the answer, I couldn't figure out how to get the right answer. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I could not figure it out. And she's in fourth grade, and I'm thinking, and I said, well, sweetheart, you're going to have to wait till your mom gets home. <laughs> And my wife did it in three minutes. She likes math. So, you know, but in school, you, you gradually build on precepts, right? So, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't start reading Tolstoy before you learn to read, right? Right? You don't, you don't start dividing fractions, or in my case, not dividing fractions, um, until you learn what one plus one is, right? It all builds. And, and that's how it is in our, in our relationship with God as we grow in the word. You start with the simple things, and the simple things are wonderful. How many are thankful for the simplicity of the word of God? But you can't stay there. You have to move to the deeper places that sometimes stretch you, that sometimes make you uncomfortable, that you have to think about a little bit. That's what the Bible refers to when it says uh, to meditate on the word of God. That means you have to be still and think about it a little bit because Maybe, maybe the meaning isn't immediately clear, so you prayerfully meditate on the word of God. That's why Paul said to young Timothy, study to show thyself approved. This is something you're going to have to put a little effort in. And that's how we grow 
in our relationship with God. All right, I'm going to take you to the next slide. I'm not getting through very quickly here. God's word is like a sharp sword. Everyone said amen. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit. That's the completeness of a person. And of both joints and marrow, that's the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts. Everyone said the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when you hold your thought life up to the word of God, it exposes what is right and wrong in your thought life. When, when you hold your deepest desires up next to the word of God, it exposes what is good and evil in your deepest desires. The word of God is sharp and, and it will divide things from your life. It will literally cut things from your life that should not be there. How many are willing to let God do spiritual surgery in your life? God, if you've got to take something from me, you know, maybe God has to cut pride out of your life. Every once in a while, God has to cut me down to size. Anybody ever been cut down to size before? Every once in a while, the word of God just cuts me down. And that's all right. Sometimes pastor will preach, and I'll feel that sharp knife of conviction. It's just like it goes right into my side. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like all of a sudden I realize, because my sin was exposed, my, my wrong attitude was exposed, my bad spirit was exposed, and the word of God penetrated it, and it didn't feel good. But you know what the right response to that is? Take it from me, Lord. Take it from me, God. Take it. I realize I'm prideful. I didn't even know I was, but the word just revealed it to me. And, it's, and I feel it there. Just go ahead and take it out, God. And the word of God will divide things from your life that should not be there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's what we desperately need. All right. Next slide. Moving quickly. God's word is the sword of the spirit. Everyone said the sword of the spirit. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. When Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, what did he say? He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You want to overcome temptation? You want to have strength against the enemy? You need to know the word of God. Because it's your offensive weapon. You can attack the enemy. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you just wave the word of God at him and say, No, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And you will overcome. All right, take you to the next slide. I'm going to close with this one. Psalm 119, 162. I rejoice at thy word. Everyone said rejoice. I rejoice at thy word. As one that findeth great spoil, or we might could say great treasure. God's word is like great spoil. God's word is like great treasure. When I read the word of God, there's something exciting that happens in my spirit because I recognize that it is valuable in my life. When I hear the word of God preached, that's why I can't just sit silently when, when the word is being preached because it's like a great treasure. You know, if you receive a treasure, if someone just gave you a big old box of gold, you're not going to just sit there and say, well, good. Thank you for this little box of gold. That's $8 million. No, you know what some of you would do? You'd run around this building 500 times and scream and shout, and then you'd pay your tithes. Amen. 
And so when you receive the word of God, the word of God is far more valuable than a box of gold or $8 million. And so when the word is preached, it's like great spoil that goes out. And so when I hear the word and when I read the word and when I interact with the word, there's something that happens to me. And I just got to get up and say, thank you, Jesus, for your word, because I'm grateful for the word. I'm thankful for the word because it is so valuable in my life. Could we just stand and lift our hands and thank the Lord for his word? Could we just do that? We lift our voices all across this room. Lord, thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, that we're able to interact with your word. I'm thankful that we're able to hear the word, read the word. I'm thankful that you speak to us in so many ways, God. I'm thankful that we're not without a witness. We give you praise and we give you glory. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.